0: This is part three of the podcast series called La Ultima Ceremonia, which is about my three-week trip to the Amazon jungle where I opened up a three-month learning diet with a plant called Morosa. Okay, so quick update before I start this episode. I just completed this three-month diet. Well, actually, it was about a month ago, and so I plan on doing an episode in the future to talk about the closing and what I learned over the course of the entire diet. Also, Before I start, I just want to remind everyone to reach out with any questions you may have or if you want me to talk about a specific topic in more depth. Also, podcast gear is available, right? You can support the show this way. Uh, So I encourage you to get yourself a deeper you go, the weirder it gets, t-shirt or hoodie. Lastly, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a review. Receiving that positive energy helps me out. My email is located in the show notes. Okay, so let's get into this episode. So in the last episode, part two of the series, I talked about the beginning of my journey into plant medicines, how I arrived in Peru, and my decision to work with POPs. Now I'm going to talk about life in the jungle, different modes of cognition, and how we can learn from plants. Okay, so when I first touched down in Puerto Maldonado, Peru, in May of 2022, I was met at the airport by Sergio. This was the first time we actually met in person. Before this, we had only communicated via text messages. So after a brief formal introduction, he said it was time to begin our journey to the jungle. So we hopped into a rickshaw-style moto-taxi and headed to the Madre de Dios River. Once we got to the river... We got into a boat and proceeded to go downriver for about 30 minutes until we arrived at the center. So this center, which was actually more of a homestead than an actual ayahuasca center, was fairly remote as it was located deep in the jungle and had no electricity or Wi-Fi. So I arrived at the center on Thursday around lunchtime. After I got settled, we had lunch and then went over the plan for my three-week stay in the jungle. So the general plan was to have three ceremonies, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, in order to prepare me energetically so that I could better connect to Morosa. Then after the three ceremonies, the plan was to do a formal opening of the three-month Sama on Monday night, immediately followed by eight days of isolation, and then finally have three more ceremonies to energetically strengthen and protect the diet. So in the previous episodes of this series, I talked about both the first ceremony and the last ceremony. Now I'm going to fill in the gap. While the other ceremonies are important, the bulk of the learning and connection to Morosa came during the eight days of isolation, so that's where I want to start for this episode. So on Monday... May 16, 2022, at 6.30pm, after a quick prayer and blessing from Pops, I consumed about 3 ounces of tea made from morosa and the smallest amount of tobacco, which officially opened my 3-month Sama and simultaneously began my isolation period. So the isolation period meant having zero contact with anybody, which meant staying in my Tombow as much as possible. So my Tombow was nothing more than a small wooden shack consisting of a child-sized bed, a tiny footstool for a chair, and a miniature coffee table for a desk. So not exactly not actually luxurious, luxurious or comfortable. <laughs> so in addition to zero contact, I also was not allowed to have any input. This meant no reading, listening to music or podcast. I could, however, have output, meaning I could write, sing, and play my musical instruments. To help ensure the isolation, food was brought to me every day, and after I ate, I would put my tray outside and someone would pick it up. Also, if I needed anything, I was supposed to just put a note on the door and somebody would eventually fulfill my request. During this time, the food was very strict and traditional to a plant, Sama. All I had was Boca Chico, which is a bony river fish and plantains. The fish was actually pretty good, however, the problem with it was the bones. It's called bony river fish for a reason. And let me tell you, there are so many bones in Boca Chico, it seems to break the laws of anatomy. And as a result, you must eat it with your fingers. In order to eat it, you pinch off a small bit of meat, shred it with your fingers, looking for and removing... The tiny bones. There are so many bones that it takes about 20 minutes to eat what is maybe 4 to 6 ounces of meat. And then there were the plantains, which were not sweet at all. Instead, they were dry, chalky, and extremely bland. I have had them in the past and rather enjoyed them. This time, however, not so much. I ate them, or rather choked them down because I needed the calories, but they, but they were so dry that I had a hard time eating them. Also, the food during my isolation contained no salt, oil, or any spices. Just plain fish and unripe stale plantains cooked over an open fire. It doesn't get any simpler or blander than this. Not to mention, I couldn't have any coffee, so it was just water. That was the only beverage I could drink. So... The purpose of all this, the food restrictions and isolation, was to remove as much stimulation as possible so that I could better connect with the spirit of Morosa. And this is critical because as I'm learning, plants can and actually do speak to us. However, they use a different form of communication. They speak in a language that many of us no longer understand. So, So while in isolation... So... So while the isolation and bland food was definitely boring, there is a method to the madness, especially for us Westerners, because most of us are completely overwhelmed with the amount of input we receive on a daily basis. Think about it, between our cell phones, social media, YouTube, podcast, email, text messages, TV, radio, video games not to mention trying to balance our work life, social life, and family life, we all have way too much stimulus coming in, and as a result, we have lost our connection to the subtle frequencies of nature. See, and that's just it. Plants speak in the language of subtle frequencies. You hear them not in your head, but in your heart. Plants speak through thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and teach us with intuition and insight. And see, what is really crazy is I've learned that plants are trying to speak to us all the time. But sadly, we will never hear them because we are too busy watching TikTok. So in other words, plant intelligence is a real thing. And in order to get a better understanding of how plants teach, I want to bring your attention to a book called The Secret Teachings of Plants by Stefan Harold Buner. So... In the introduction to this book, we are introduced to the idea that today there exist two different modes of cognition. These modes of cognition are basically explained as different ways in which we observe and learn from the world. So the different modes are the Western scientific view, which is considered the modern way of thinking and learning, and the holistic intuitive view, which is considered an ancient way of thinking and learning. So in other words, when it comes to understanding the world in which we live, there is the modern approach and the ancient approach. And the modern approach is about using the conscious mind where, whereas the ancient approach is about using the heart. Yes, the heart. See, the book goes on to describe in the following chapters that the heart is not only connected to the mind, it also but it also contains a lot of neurons. So many So many neurons, in fact, that the heart can actually be considered a brain, and this actually makes sense from an energetic standpoint. See the seventh hermetic principle, the principle of gender, says that everything has masculine and feminine energy associated with it. And when it comes to how we learn from and interpret the world, this principle applies. See, our brain is associated with masculine energy, and the heart is associated with feminine energy. Our brain operates in the realm of logic and reason, whereas the heart operates in the realm of intuition and emotion. Now, if you remember anything from the principle of gender, it is that we need to find balance between the masculine and feminine energies. We need both logic and intuition in order to thrive. We need to use both our brain and our heart to interpret the wor- to interpret and learn from the world. However, our modern lifestyles have thrown us completely out of balance and most of us are stuck in our heads. Most of us only interpret the world with our conscious mind and we, and we ignore or are unable to understand the information coming from our heart. So with that being said, I want to go into a little bit more detail about these different modes of cognition. So the modern way of interpreting the world is based in science. It's based in logic, reason, and facts. It is very masculine, mechanical, linear, and is a reductionist view of the world. And this approach mostly takes place in our conscious mind. While science is definitely awesome and responsible for many of our modern conveniences, there is a major flaw in viewing the world solely through the lenses of science, and that is the world, or better yet, Mother Nature cannot be reduced down to its components. It cannot be understood just by looking at data points. The truth is Mother Nature is complex, intricate, interdependent, and extremely subtle, meaning a lot of what happens in nature can't be measured or quantified. For example... Science has reduced food down to its components, transforming food into nothing more than units of energy called calories, which are composed of fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. In other words, when science tries to understand the impact of food on your health, it reduces food to its core components and counts calories and macronutrients. While this might sound good in theory, the problem is food is more than its measurable qualities. For example, in order to lose weight, a doctor, nutritionist, or fitness professional who bases their mode of cognition solely in science will say that you should count calories and that the only way to lose weight is to eat less calories than you burn. In other words, weight loss is all about calories in minus calories out. This approach is flawed for a couple of reasons. See, we know all calories are not equal. For example, 400 calories of steak, 400 calories of ice cream, 400 calories of spring salad mix and 400 calories of bread are all completely different. Your and your body will react to each of those foods completely differently. And they will and those foods will affect your physical, mental and spiritual health differently. Because reducing food down to its components removes the essence, the spirit, and the synergistic effects of food. Then, to take it to an even deeper level, we all know that food that is made with love is always better for you than than food that is made without it. In other words, a home-cooked meal is way better for your overall health compared to the same meal made at a restaurant. Of course, there is no scientific way to prove this, but we all know it's true. Okay, now let's look at the holistic and intru- and intuitive mode of cognition. So this method is more feminine-based, and it's based in the heart-brain, and instead of reducing things down to its components... And looking at things with a mechanical mindset, this method looks at the bigger picture and understands that there is a synergistic effect between things, that there is more to the story than just data points. And what's really interesting is that this form of cognition has been around much longer than the scientific view. See, the holistic, intuitive approach is the method that the majority of our ancestors used. In fact, the scientific method has only been around for a blink of an eye when you look at all of human history. This means that for the majority of human existence, the holistic intuitive approach was dominant and, and it has only been recent since we've made the switch. Now, here is where we start to get into some spiritual Warfare territory. See, the mainstream narrative would want us to believe that the scientific method is the end-all be-all and that our ancestors or even the indigenous people of today who still follow the holistic approach were and are primitive and inferior in both intelligence and lifestyle. And is, is this true? Well, absolutely not. In fact, one thing you can be certain of is that our ancestors and even the people Today, who are living more of an ancestral, indigenous lifestyle or anything but primitive. as f- And as far as lifestyle goes, there is an argument that can maybe be made that the modern lifestyle is better. However, just take a look around at our Western society. The amount of depression, mental illness, obesity, and complete disconnection from the natural world... That argument is not an easy one to make. Also, remember that science is a relatively new concept. This means that most of the knowledge we humans have obtained about the world was developed developed long before the scientific method was invented. A perfect example of this is our knowledge of plant medicines. How did we discover that certain plants have medicinal qualities? right? Do you really think this was all done on just trial and error? Or do you think that there was some other intelligent guiding force behind everything? Well, if you ask the indigenous tribes, they will tell you that they learn the use of plants as medicines from the plants themselves. So this leads to the mystery of ayahuasca. So when you really dig into it, ayahuasca is actually one of life's biggest mysteries. And so the mystery or million-dollar question is, how did they learn how to make it? And so for those of you that don't know, ayahuasca is a psychoactive tea produced by the indigenous people of the Amazon Basin and is typically used as the main component for spiritual plant medicine ceremonies. See, no one really knows how long people have been using ayahuasca, but some of the earliest records show that it was in use at least a thousand years ago. Okay, so here's where it starts to get interesting. Ayahuasca is made by combining two different plants, and requires a minimum cook time of 8 to 12 hours. So that's a lot of work compared to, let's say, psychedelic mushrooms, which require zero processing. So in other words, you can literally pick mushrooms from the ground, eat them, and see God. Ayahuasca, on the other hand, requires a lot of work and an advanced knowledge of chemistry and biology. See, ayahuasca is made from the banisterius capi vine, aka the ayahuasca vine, and the leaves of the chacruna plant. Now it starts getting Weird. First, you have to understand that there are thousands upon thousands of different plant species in the Amazon jungle, many of which are poisonous and deadly. Then it gets even weirder once you realize that the vine and the leaves don't grow anywhere near each other. The ayahuasca vine grows deep in the jungle, under the canopy of the trees, and it likes the darkness of the jungle. The chacruna, on the other hand, lives on the outskirts of the jungle as it likes the sun. So the chacruna leaves contain the psychedelic component known as DMT, however if you were to just eat a bunch of leaves on their own, you wouldn't have a DMT experience. This is because a certain enzyme in the body, monoamine oxidase, MAO, breaks down DMT when it is taken orally, preventing it from entering the bloodstream. So chacruna leaves by themselves won't give you the DMT experience. However, if you were to take something that could suppress your body's MAO enzyme, then the DMT would become orally active. This is where the vine comes in. The Banisterius capi or ayahuasca vine, contains some harmola alkaloids. Harmine, harmaline, and tetrahydroharmine, which act as a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. Which uh, So an MAOI, which means the vine blocks an enzyme in your body, thus making DMT orally active. Now, I want you to think about all this for a second. This is some crazy shit. We are talking about some high-level chemistry, physiology, and biology going on here. There are so many levels to this, especially once we remember that all this happened thousands of years ago long before the invention of what we would consider to be modern science. See, the first people to create ayahuasca would first have to know what they were looking for. They would have to know that DMT existed. They would then have to know that it is not orally active because of enzymes in our body. Then they would have to know that other compounds exist which could make DMT or early active, then they would have to know which plants contain these substances and then how to combine them in such a way to get the desired results. When you think about the mathematical possibilities of randomly combining plants until they discovered ayahuasca, it is basically impossible, especially once you remember that many plants are deadly and that the vine and leaves don't grow in the same areas of the jungle. Not to mention they would need a reason for wanting to combine these plants in the first place. So if you ask the Shipibo how ayahuasca was discovered, they say that the plants taught them how to make it. And not just any plant, but... Tobacco. See, in the hierarchy of master plants, many indigenous people consider tobacco to be top dog. Now, how or why the relationship with tobacco started is another mystery and possibly another episode. Anyway, the story goes that the spirit of tobacco came to a female shaman in her dreams and told her what plants to look for and how to process them. So, now when we hear a story like this, our Western mind has a hard time believing it. The common notion is to dismiss the story as some fun or silly superstition that these indigenous people came up with. However, whether the story is true or not, the fact still remains that these ancient people discovered how to make a fairly complex hallucinogenic compound with zero modern technology and understanding of modern science. So, What the mystery of ayahuasca tells us is that plant intelligence and plant communication is real. It also tells us that plants can be valuable teachers. It reminds us that we need to redevelop and strengthen both the connection to our heart and to nature. See, Logic and reason are extremely valuable tools, but we cannot forget about intuition and our gut feeling and the insights and ideas that seem to just pop that seem to just pop into our head. And finally, and probably most importantly, we need to learn how to get out of our own heads. We need to stop overthinking and overanalyzing everything. And instead we need to start learning how to listen and trust our instincts. See, the language of plants is spoken through intuition and guidance through our heart center. So, In closing, I want to leave you with this quote, and this is from the book The Little Prince. So here it is. And now, here is my secret, a very simple secret. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. See you on the other side.